Hello, I'm Sarah Spateri, and you're listening to The Well-Crafted Life, the new podcast from Homes and Gardens that considers one big question. How do we enhance our homes? And so, our lives. Every week, I'll be asking three tastemakers to share three secrets. It's a podcast that focuses as much on the little things as the big things, because a well-crafted life is made up of both. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode of The Well-Crafted Life is sponsored by Martin Moore, Classic English Kitchens. This episode is the last in our eight-part series, so I wanted to thank all the brilliant creatives who have taken part. We've shared stories of sentimentality, nostalgia and treasured objects alongside how to make the perfect cup of coffee. We've travelled to India, Nigeria, Japan, Italy. There's been a big focus on colour, on confidence and on craft. Less has been more and more has been less. More has also been more. The aim of this podcast was to focus on the personal and give little details as much time as lofty concepts. I hope you have found these interviews uplifting and taken away lots of advice on how to elevate the everyday and make your home more joyful. I am very excited to introduce this episode. Its theme is Tales from the Dining Table, so I'm speaking to three amazing cooks who are passionate about their homes. First, we join food writer Sky McAlpine at her home in Venice. Sky has written two books, the most recent being A Table for Friends, and launched a collection of tableware with anthropology. My second guest is Theo Randall, chef patron of Theo Randall at London's Hotel Intercontinental and author of the Italian Deli Cookbook. Finally, we hear from cook, stylist and writer Anna Jones, the award-winning author who blazes the trail for how we want to eat now. Expect restaurant recommendations and favourite ingredients, alongside childhood memories and a discussion about the beauty of imperfection. My first guest on Tales from the Dining Table is Sky McAlpine. Hi Sky, thank you for joining us. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Now, we know that you split your time between London and Venice. Where do you call home? That's such a good question. They're both home. I mean, I feel incredibly lucky in a way that they really do both feel like home. Venice is where I grew up. It's where my, really my family mother is. And so in many ways, that really does feel like home home. But equally, London, I've been living there on and off for a number of years now. And we have a lovely house there that we relatively recently bought and decorated. So that does also feel like home, like new home. And are your two homes decorated in similar ways? Tell us about how they're, what kind of objects do you surround yourself with? I do lots of old things for different reasons. In Venice, you know, we live, our flat is just kind of really old and crumbling and that's something we've just sort of embraced and is part of its charm. Then ironically, a lot of that feel was something we tried to replicate in our house in London, where, which is actually, it's a Victorian house, but had been redeveloped or developed in the 1990s in a quite a sort of soulless standard right. way. Yeah. So when we bought it a few years ago, we ripped everything out and tried to add those layers back in and mm -hmm. try and add a bit of, sort of soul to it. So we, we did use a lot of vintage or antique pieces or points of inspiration to try and yeah bring back that forward. character yeah <laughs> and do you have a particular treasured object or piece of design that really is meaningful to you oh I'm such a hoarder that one choosing one is is obviously quite difficult I mean I think that sort of things that are really essentials and 
the heart of our home. I mean, it's probably got to be the dining table. And so in London, that's a big old wooden table that we found. It's kind of really long. And that's where we live out our days. You know, that's where I'll often work if I'm writing. It's where my son does his homework, where we have dinner as a family, where we back in the day used to have friends over for dinner. It's sort of in many ways like the heart of family life and our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we want to talk to you about your cooking. And conveniently, your first secret is anyone can cook. So tell me why that is your secret. It sounds really obvious, but I think you know anyone can cook. And I feel like I really am living proof of that. I have no formal training as a chef or anything like that. I've learned entirely from cookbooks and from sort of wanting to cook. But I think as a society, we just have a tendency to make cooking feel like something quite complex. And what we think of as cooking is perhaps the kind of food that maybe you get in restaurants that does require a huge amount of skill and ultimately training and experience to be able to produce. But for me, there is just such beauty and such happiness in really simple, beautiful dishes. And I think, you know, Italy's been a huge influence on me in that way. I think this is much more of a widely held attitude in Italy where everyone kind of does think of themselves as someone who can cook. And, you know, just something as simple as tomato and mozzarella salad, say, just beautiful tomatoes on a plate with some nice mozzarella, a drizzle of olive oil and some basil and some salt. Anyone can do that. (laughs) And and this links to your book, A Table for Friends. That's very much the promise of your book, isn't it? To to really make cooking something that anyone can tap into. Absolutely. My whole idea for the book was that I just love cooking so much. And when I say cooking, I mean that in a very loose sense of the word. It is often just like I said, just putting, assembling a few ingredients and tossing them on the table. It's often not an elaborate affair, but I just, it brings me such joy to have a beautiful table and to use that as a point to bring the family round and to ultimately bring friends around. And that's just been such a source of joy in my life. But I wanted to put together a manual, I guess, of everything that I learned through years of doing that. And And what first drew you to cooking? Oh, gosh. Well, I've always loved food. I mean, it's impossible to grow up initially. And I definitely am very greedy. I think the first time I really cooked was actually at university in the UK in kind of my student room. I sort of wanted to bring people over. So I had access to like a little shared kitchen that was really basic. And I just started from there. I wanted to have friends over and sort of sit. There's something about entertaining is not a word that I like, but hosting, hosting, exactly hosting at home. That is very special, I think. And it doesn't matter what that home is. Like at the time, that was kind of my, my student room. So we'd sit up around the coffee table, but there's something about sitting in someone's home that is incredibly relaxing and feel like you're kind of bathed in the warm glow of feeling welcome. Like it's just, it's different from going out to a bar or a pub or a restaurant. It's sort of special in some way. Yeah, I agree. And do you have a signature dish? Do you know, I know that you have lots of amazing and as you say, quite simple recipes in your book, but is there one that you do as your go-to when you're hosting? I think roast chicken's quite a classic one. I love a roast chicken. It's really good because I feel like it works across the seasons. Like in the summer, you might serve it just room temperature with some sort of mayonnaise and a salad. And then in the winter, you might do it with like some roast potatoes and roast pumpkin or you know some spinach or something a little bit more 
hearty and warming. And I think roast chicken is another one of those things that before you think of yourself as someone who can cook, you assume because it's so delicious that there's a lot of skill involved. But I mean, it really is just like take the chicken, rub it down and some salt and a bit of olive oil, pop it in the oven for an hour and a half and you're done. Um, And I feel like everyone loves roast chicken. Yeah, who couldn't love roast chicken? Comforting thing to eat. Um, So we've mentioned a little bit your childhood home and growing up in residence. Do you have a first memory of home? Such an interesting question. I mean, we moved around quite a lot when I was a child. We were in England when I was really little and then we moved to Venice. And then my parents both used to travel quite a lot. But I definitely have really strong memories as a child of kind of sitting around, especially in the summer months. And so when it was summer holidays, obviously I didn't have to go to bed whenever it was seven o'clock whatever and I used to often be able to kind of go and sit at the dining table with the grown-ups and my parents had this lovely long stone table in their garden under the fig tree and I think in summer we just have like these long relaxed suppers out there as the sun set that I think is a really vivid memory for me from early childhood that sounds so wonderful and you know it's lovely the way you have brought together the Italian and also the English elements. Do you mean, do you see yourself as English or do you think you are more Italian? I feel like I'm much of both and not really either. It's sort of odd idiosyncrasy. When I'm in England, I feel suddenly terribly Italian. And when I'm in Italy, I feel terribly English. I think, you know, as a child, that was something that, let's say, I'd struggled with, but it felt strange that I didn't have a sort of strong sense of national identity. You know, everyone I was at school with was Italian and they felt Italian and I sort of felt quite English, but also not English. And as I've got older, I realise how lucky I am to have that mix of cultures and what a privilege it is to kind of see things from different points of view. Absolutely. Moving on to your second secret, which is about using fruit and edibles for decoration. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I kind of think, I mean, flowers are really beautiful, obviously, and there's nothing more spoiling or more special than having lots of vases of flowers or jugs of flowers or a jug of flowers by your bedside table or whatever it is, especially at the moment, kind of like daffodils and all the spring flowers are so beautiful and so cheery. But obviously flowers have have often quite a short lifespan and they can be quite expensive. And what I found to create that same sense of coziness and colour and celebration is fruit is just especially kind of moving into summer, but even in the winter, like beautiful bowls of apples and bowls of pears just dotted around the kitchen or on the dining table, or even a beautiful bowl of pears in your, you know, on the coffee table in your living room or whatever. The colours are so stunning and it makes everything look very abundant and inviting and And seasonal as well it's nice you always have a seasonal reference yes exactly so we kind of go with what's in season because that's usually what's easier to find and what's less expensive and what tastes best so kind of going into autumn like the lovely plums in the summer months cherries and strawberries and peaches and they're all really beautiful and I think it feels less wasteful as well it's a great way of kind of decorating the home and it does that same thing that flowers do where they make a space feel lived in but also ultimately you eat it so it's not a waste in any way and it's quite nice I think if you have on your coffee table say a beautiful bowl of cherries there's that temptation to just help yourself and eat a few and then once they're nearing the end of their life and the ones that are left are kind of, you can always make jam or using cooking. Like there's always a good home 
for fruit. <laughs> I, I think that's a really lovely way of looking at it. Obviously, you have a strong sense of style and interior style. How would you describe your overall look? Gosh, I'd say chaotic. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, colourful. I love colour and I'm very drawn to colour. Colour makes me very happy. All sorts. I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be strong colour, just even like a soft pink or a soft yellow or just I'm definitely more drawn to colour than to white or, or neutrals. I love pattern. I love old things. I think there's a lot of beauty in old things. And there's also, it feels like finding that beauty is quite helpful on a practical level. All our plates, pretty much, I buy from charity shops or on eBay and they're all secondhand and mismatched. Um, This is your third secret, actually, isn't it? Finding beauty in imperfections and old things. Yes, I think so. And I think it makes life so much easier because if you have a mismatched set of plates and then you break one or you chip one, it doesn't really matter because you can kind of weave another one in. Whereas I feel like if you have a perfect set of 12 in that matching plates and then someone comes for dinner and one of your children drops one or whatever it is, it's really frustrating because then suddenly it makes the others less beautiful. Whereas I think there's a lot of character that you can gain from layering textures and colors and having different things and bringing them sort of together in one place but it it also makes it work better and in our kitchen we have marble surfaces and quite often people come over or will ask, say, well, are you not worried about stains on the marble? Because obviously you like cooking. And actually here in Venice, we have in our kitchen is like a big marble table, which is where we eat. But it's also my workshop surface where I cook. And it's really old. It's been here forever. And it is really worn and stained in parts and it's got cracks in parts and chips in parts and I think it's absolutely stunning I think it's more beautiful because of that rather than less what's the most important thing to you in a kitchen when you if you well you recently did redesign your own kitchen what was the most important thing to you light we knocked down a couple of walls and moved things around to try and be have it be so that the sort of kitchen bit was in the lightest part of the room I think light is really important kind of trying to maximize that because it will create an illusion of space and it also just really lifts your mood I don't think it's something you notice particularly but you feel happy or I always feel happy in a light space I agree it's like when the sun shines it's the same yeah it's like like letting that sunshine in it just instantly makes the space a happy space and then actually our kitchen in London we ended up painting like a really soft shade of yellow and that's really in terms of letting the sunshine in that's really like on that and then the other big piece that we started with for our kitchen in London. But this is just a me thing because I love cooking so much. And for so many people, we've got a really big cooker with lots of oven space and that's been transformative. And then the other thing we did was I was really aware of like keeping the space to f- feeling as flexible as possible. So we have a kitchen island, but that's on wheels. So you can move it out of the way and then extend the table to sit more people if you want to. Brilliant. Of having built-in cupboards, we found an old a sort of antique big dresser type thing with cupboards on it, but freestanding. Yeah. We painted and we have that for all our storage. I love the idea that the space can easily evolve with you. Otherwise, I think with kitchens, the temptation is to get persuaded into spending a fortune on all these beautiful fitted custom-made island cupboards, all this kind of thing. And then it's fixed and then that room has to be like that. I couldn't agree more. I think the flexibility and I think for somebody who's clearly such 
a generous and welcoming hostess. I think that's even more important because it means your kitchen can be the heart of the home because it doesn't always have to be functioning. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, our kitchen is almost a living room, really. Um, and we've got a lovely armchair there. But I love the idea, you know, that we could move things out easily. You know, I could sell that cabinet on eBay and make that part of the kitchen feel even more like a living room and put a sofa there if I want. Like, I'd love that flexibility. I also think this is a tip for maybe post 21st of June, but you can always squeeze more people into a room than it looks like you can squeeze in. At our old flat in London, before we moved to our new house, it really wasn't a very big flat, but I had birthday dinners there for 24 people and everyone was really sandwiched in and the tables were trestle tables and there was a lot of jiggling around of furniture and stuff. But actually there's something about being really cozy and squashed in like that that creates a really special atmosphere. I think that's part of like anyone can cook. Anyone can cook for lots of people. That was part of my inspiration for the books was this idea that like cooking for two or cooking for 20, there's not actually that much. Shouldn't seem incredibly difficult and incredibly daunting. But it's not. You just need to know a few tricks and kind of have that confidence to know that it will feel special. Thank you so much. I've really loved hearing about your gorgeous wooden dining table, your memories of Venetian sunsets, finding beauty and imperfections. It's been really good to hear how you elevate the everyday and I'm taking lots of inspiration from it. I just want to interrupt to talk to you about Martin Moore. Specialists in bespoke kitchen furniture, Martin Moore is known for classic English design with an elegant, timeless style. Committed to excellence and British craftsmanship, All their kitchens are custom designed and handmade to order in their UK workshops. To find out about Martin Moore and their kitchens, head to their website martinmoore.com or follow them on Instagram at martinmoordesign. My second guest on this episode is Chef Theo Randall. Hi Theo, thanks for joining us. Hi, pleasure. It's great to have you here. Could you please get us started by telling us a little bit about your home? So I live in a 1970s three-story townhouse, which has got huge amounts of light and lots of open spaces. And having a father, Peter Randall, who's uh, an architect, being brought up with that sort of, and my mother an artist, I was being brought up with a very kind of, you know, very important how things look. And my home is particularly pleasing to me and my wife. You know, I, I love that kind of open space. I'd say my favorite room is probably my kitchen because it's where everything happens. We've got a lovely big table there, which everyone sits around and I've got a very, very nice kitchen. It's a very sort of modern kitchen. It's all stainless steel, got a beautiful gas stove, no induction at home. I've got lots of amazing sort of nicks and knacks. It's quite compact. It's not a huge, huge kitchen, but it's certainly a decent size. And there's been an awful lot of entertaining over the years. So do you cook Um, a lot at home? There's that expression, busman's holiday, isn't there? But do you cook a lot at home? Is that how you wind down or? Do you save that for the restaurants? I, I, cook, I cook a lot at home. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I find that particularly when we're on the first lockdown, I mean, the kids are in their flats at university at the moment, but the first lockdown, I was literally doing a kind of double shift every day with <laughs> you know, various the kids coming down at various times of the, of the morning asking for breakfast and saying, Dad, can I have poached eggs this way? Or can I have, I had scrambled eggs <laughs> yesterday, so can I have, you know, fried eggs? And so I was doing all this kind of cooking and I kept pretty busy. So the kitchen is definitely where I, I'll bring the ingredients and I'll cook. And during lockdown, I was obviously writing the Italian deli cookbook. So I spent a lot of time doing the recipes, actually practicing out the recipes. The Italian deli is all about ingredients, isn't it? 
The Italian deli cookbook is all about those ingredients you find in, in Italian delis. You know, you might find, I always find whenever I go on holiday, I'll, I'll buy so much stuff. I'll always take an extra suitcase. I'll go to the markets. I'll buy olives, anchovies, capers, all those kind of things. And the book, it sort of started off in my cupboard, really. So like, well, I've got all these things. I should really write about a book about it because it's almost like a back to front book where you've got one ingredient that is so delicious and special and it kind of inspires you to create a dish around it. So yeah. it is all about ingredients and it's all about those little ingredients that you don't necessarily know what to do with. Do you have a favorite ingredient? God, I have so many favorite ingredients, but I think the one thing that I could never live without is olive oil. You know, olive okay. oil is just such a brilliant thing. It's liquid gold and you can pour it on end on a bit of toast or you can, you know, cook with it, dress a bit of spinach or salad. It makes things taste incredible. Do you have a particular olive oil that you like to use? Well, I have a few. I mean, you know, that's a question I find hard to answer because I love Italian olive oil, obviously. And um, the oil that I use probably most is a Puglian olive oil. But my favorite olive oil of, of all is an oil from a farm in Tuscany called Capizzana. And uh, they're an amazing wine producer and they have the most incredible olive oil. And when you get the olive oil when it's new seasons, it's literally dark green and as thick as sort of castor oil. It's incredible. Amazing. So you've already told us your first secret, which is your kitchen, but you mentioned particular piece of equipment. So my, my favorite bit of equipment has got a lot of memories. It's a pestle and mortar and it's made out of olive wood. And it was given to me by Rose Gray, the co-founder of the River Cafe. I was head chef of the River Cafe for many, many years. So I got very close to both Rose and Ruthie. And we went to the Edinburgh Festival to do a cookery demonstration to promote the, the River Cafe Green Book. And I remember having dinner at Valverna Crowley with Rose. As we left, she bought this, this beautiful pestle and mortar. So it's in the kitchen and it's used an awful lot, but it's, it's very special. Lots of, lots of very happy memories. And you mentioned that you grew up around architecture through your father. Did you do your house as a project? It was definitely a project. I think we actually took the house down to bare brick. We did take the house down to bare brick. It took about a year in total. I mean, it's an interesting house. It's, on a, it's a sort of concrete slab. But it's kind of that's sort of the best sort of house to have because you can take it right down to the, the bare brick and start all from scratch. And we did it back in 2007 and it's still looking great now. I mean, it, has, it hasn't aged a day really. I mean, obviously you've got to keep, keep painting it and doing all the kind of bits and pieces. But actually, you know, if you're going to do a house, do it properly and do it well. I mean, it might cost more money, but you, you'll reap the benefits later. Has the way you're using it changed since your children went to university? Um, that The house has changed in some ways in the respect of what, we, that we have more space. Yeah, <laughs> because, of course. I mean, we used to have, is it, the, we have a kitchen, and next to the kitchen is a little kind of, I guess, sort of library TV room. And we found ourselves sitting down there watching TV while the kids sort of sprawled themselves over the large sofas upstairs watching whatever they wanted. But now we've sort of found our space back on the large sofas. So yeah, the space has changed a bit, but not that much. The kitchen hasn't changed at all. Just there's not so many hungry mouths to feed all the time. <laughs> Thinking about furniture, your second secret is a couple of pieces of furniture that are particularly precious to you. Well, the one that's very precious I'm actually sitting on at the moment, which is a Casino Le Corbusier LC2 sofa. And anyone knows what this chair looks like. It's a beautiful design, very, very simple. The fact I say it's Casino is very important because they're the, the original makers of the chair. And it's quite different to a lot of the uh, copies you see because it's it's just much sturdier and got a much, much better cushions and obviously beautifully made. But it's one of those chairs that's sort of quite wide. So you can kind of sit in it, you can almost lie in it. 
and it was given to me by my father on my 40th birthday. So it's sort of one of those sort of precious bits of furniture that I always love. And I always kind of feel it's my chair. I guess that sounds a bit old and codgery, but you know, <laughs> kind of a, you know having <laughs> your own, own chair with your slippers on reading is, is a lovely thing. <laughs> you also love your dining table. So we have this amazing dining table, which is Natalie's father, Ivor. He had this table commission. He, he worked with a lot of artists and, and made things. And he had this bit of wood that basically this, this carpenter made this table from a bit of Burr Elm that fell in the, the great storm in 1987. And Burr Elm virtually doesn't exist in this country anymore. And, and so he got this piece of wood and it's absolutely exquisite. I mean, the table's probably 10 foot long and three foot wide. And it's this one piece of burr elm that's just being cut through the middle of the tree. And the detail on it is absolutely exquisite. And yeah. a friend of mine who's a carpenter and, and a very good carpenter, and he said, look, I just haven't seen work like that in years. So it's, it's very special. And it's something that we've had for many, many years. I mean, the kids have grown up on that table. And it's just a delight to look at it. You, I'm always looking at it and sort of, you know, looking at the detail of all the kind of the burrs and everything on it. It's a wonderful colour. Beautiful. Now, something we think about a lot with chefs who specialise in fine dining is how do you eat at home? Do you recreate that experience ever or are you much more casual, informal family style? Well, I mean, there's, there's restaurant service and restaurant people go to a restaurant, they want a food served in a particular way. And, and at home, we're much more um, much more casual. But the the ethos is still there. It's all about great produce. It's about serving really delicious food, making it unfussy. I'm not a, I'm not a, someone who plates a lot of different techniques and lots of different things. I like things to be as they are. But at home, yes, it's very much a communal fare. Usually what happens is I'm not going to plate everything and put it on the plates and make sure it's perfectly positioned. I will literally put, you know, whatever the protein is or whatever we're having, I'll literally put it in the middle of the table and serve it from the table. I find that's much nicer. And when you have sort of lots, well, hopefully we will soon, but when you have people around for dinner, it's just so nice. To, it's so much more sociable to have food and yeah. presented in the middle of the table. I'm a big believer of putting things, serving things on the middle of the table because it's just so much more dramatic than uh, plating up in the kitchen. But yes, I mean, I like food that's simple and we're all very good eaters. <laughs> and, we, you, know, we, we, you know, for me, it's cooking is all about seasonality, keeping things simple, but also, you know, food that everyone's going to really enjoy and, and, and share. And I mean, it's a similar proposition to, to what you present at Park Lane, albeit in a very different, as you say, more formal setting. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, if you look at the Italian deli cookbook, um, you know, the, a lot of the recipes in there are probably, there's a lot of stuff you'd cook at home, but a lot of that, those ideas or, you know, those ideas will be recreated in the restaurant. I think that's that's the essence of the food. You know, you might find there might be a delicious recipe for a pasta dish and we might just refine it slightly and make it a little bit oh. more restauranty. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 all, the thing about good food is it's all about confidence and good taste. And I think if you've got the confidence to recreate something simple, then that's really important. Yeah. And as we sort of stare down the roadmap towards reopening, you know, how are you feeling about the next few months and what have you got planned? Well, we're reopening on the 17th of May and I'm very, very excited and just relieved to be reopening then. I generally believe that everyone's going to support restaurants and I think everyone's really desperate to get out. It's going to be tough, you know, it's going to be tough for restaurants to start a game from scratch. Is there a um, restaurant that you're particularly excited about going to personally? Well, there's quite a few, actually. <laughs> Me too. There's one restaurant I went to just before lockdown, which was uh, Sabor, and I had the most incredible meal there. I mean, you know, uh, Neves is a most brilliant chef, and she cooks Spanish food, and, and, and you know, it kind of 
just had I had tastes and flavors that I'd never t- experienced before, even though I'd been to Spain. The, the her food was incredible. Also, another one is well, there's a few. I mean, I'd say Clipstone is another restaurant that I love, the simplicity of it. And, you know, for a more kind of formal affair, I love um, Ellison Street, uh, Phil Howard's mm. restaurant. I think that's a fabulous restaurant. And I look forward to going back to there for some, for a special, special treat. And where do you look for inspiration for your cooking? So, inspiration for cooking for me comes really from looking at produce. I do a lot of reading. I've got a fantastic fantastic collection of cookbooks. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of, of cookbooks uh, that I've collected over the years. So I do a lot of reading. It's amazing inspiration these days. You see a lot of it on Instagram now. You know, Instagram's yeah. a great source of inspiration. I look at things. I look at, you know, some of these videos on YouTube of the, these sort of grannies cooking, making pasta and things. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I find that really inspiring. I mean, even though I might not be learning anything, it makes me think. I mean, the other day I saw uh, it was it was pasta grannies making a risotto, a porcini risotto. And I just thought, you know what? That, you know, it's exactly what I fancy for dinner. And that was like an sure. hour before dinner time. So I, yeah. I made a porcini risotto. And, you know, I think things like that are so inspiring. But really, I'll look at produce. I look at the seasons you know, you might have an idea of what you want to cook, or you might have an idea of a recipe, but you do a bit of research, you can usually find things. So there's so many sources of inspiration now. And I, for me, really, it is getting the ingredient and then sort of working backwards. Thinking, what are we going to do with this? Or, or going to Italy, going to a market of, in Italy. Are you the kind of person who stocks your fridge? Or do you, as you say, take the ingredient and then build from there? Well, I, I just walked down to my local greengrocers, which is on Regent's Park Road, and, and bought some amazing produce there. And I'm sort of planning dinner now, as I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I've got. You know, I'm the same I as you. I used to live on Portobello Road Market, and oh, have, rising, that, yeah. just since well, then have always had this. You know, I'm very much buy and then eat, as opposed to I'm not. I'm not yeah. a planner. I've got lots of tote bags, you know, you'll see me walking around with bags full of like greens hanging out or, I mean, it, it, for me, it's, that's half the fun of it. I think spontaneous cooking is the best, is the best kind of cooking. And it's kind of how the Italians do it. You know, they go to the market, they'll buy what they, they need to buy, they'll go home and cook it. And I think that that sort of spontaneity really is, is far more creative and there's less waste. Yeah. Well, that's a huge thing, isn't it? And I think it is. looking at, when you're cooking, are you looking to use all parts of the, you know, the piece of produce? Frugal cooking is really what cooking is about. If you think about, I mean, the Italian kitchen is very much about using everything. And, you know, that's why there are lots of sort of pasta dishes on a menu or that's why they, you know, there's slow cooked meats and things because they're using different parts of the animal that wouldn't necessarily be used. I'm the same at home. I mean, I'm a big believer in, in freezing things, you know, at home particularly. So if I have, if I'm, I'll make a ragu, I'll make a ragu from, for the kids or I'll go to the butcher and I'll buy, you know, a couple of kilos of chuck steak and make a really delicious ragu. And then I'll put it into little freezer bags, seal it up, freeze it. And then when they go off to university, I'll give them 10 of these bags you know, those kind of things and and so there's always bits and pieces in 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 the freezer or if if i'm doing any kind of if there's any vegetables after i'll make a soup that that make that makes me happy i, I like the fact that there's nothing in the fridge sometimes because i think right we can start fresh again you know i mean there's always something there's always a jar of anchovies there's always some olives yeah. there's always a chunk of parmesan but there's it's not there's you know it's not full of drawers full of vegetables and plastic wrapping that sort yeah. of sell by date was three days ago i hate that <laughs> it's all about buying things in I mean, you know, try and buy things as, as local as you can. Obviously, that's the obvious thing. But, you know, going to a greengrocer, supporting a greengrocer or a market, like, you know, living in Portobello Road, that must have been amazing. There's so much more personality to it. I agree. And you get the kind of the joy of choosing for yourself as well, which I think that people who have moved towards food delivery services don't have that same tactility that comes from, you know, looking at the produce and selecting what you think 
you're drawn to on that day. Now, yeah, I think, I think that's going to be your third secret. Yeah. Tell us about your painting. We have a few paintings, but one painting in particular is a Paul Webb painting. And Paul Webb, he's a brilliant painter. And this actually comes again from Natalie's father, who, who, who knew him very, very well. And he gave, gave us uh, one of his paintings, and it's a landscape. And guess where it's of? It's of Italy, <laughs> of Tuscany. And, you know, it's one that he's, if, if you get a chance to look him up, he's, he's amazing colours and textures in his paintings. And um, some of the landscapes are absolutely incredible. I mean, they got, the, the, he kind of takes the, so you can imagine sitting in this field, looking out to these hills with olive trees and vines and, and yeah. you know, just, cypress trees in the burning sunshine of the, in the summer but the colors he gets you just f- you really feel like you're there you can you, you feel the warmth of the painting and i think that's you know that's incredibly creative and so i've got i've got to know paul very well over the years and and so i, I convinced him to <laughs> he had a he had an exhibition at the cato gallery in hampstead yeah. and and i went there and, and I, I saw him i said listen i love all this work do you mind hanging it in the restaurant and you know i'll i'll, I'll whatever we, we sell you know obviously you'll get all the money for it and so we yeah he very kindly hung all his work so the restaurant is full of paul webb work which is it just makes the restaurant look magical and sells your story as well well theo thank you so much for talking to us today from your casino armchair and taking <laughs> us to your beautiful primrose hill townhouse i've loved talking about your love of ingredients and the italian deli cookbook and also what inspires you so thank you so much for your time it's been a real joy my final guest is food writer and stylist anna jones hi anna thank you so much for coming on the well-crafted life oh thank you for having me absolutely yeah thrilled to be here it's a pleasure now i believe you're based in east london tell us all about your home i am i'm based in hackney and i've got a lovely old victorian semi-detached house which we've actually really recently renovated so we were finishing our renovations during the first of first part of lockdown which was quite an adventure Um, i can imagine (laughs) um, yeah giving the builder kind of like our instructions via facetime which was oh god it's a challenge. It's quite a calm space, I think, my house. it's not, it, it feels homely, so it's got our stuff in, but it's. I, I quite like sort of calm, muted tones. So not kind of bright whites, but I've got a lot of very kind of like, you know, almost like stone, just, just off-white stone colours. Yeah. Um, I've got setting plaster in my living room. So we've tried to keep the sort of Victorian feel of the house. I've got the doors, the kind of brass handles, but then we've updated it and, you know, in sort of subtle ways, we've got some lovely big crystal doors at the back. And it's just, it's, it just to me feels like a lovely, calm oasis. And that's, that. I think that's what we really had in our heads when we, we sort of started renovating that we wanted the house to be. And one of your secrets for us is actually your friend Kate, who helped you with the renovation. Yes, she is my glorious friend who's, who's been a dear friend for years, who lives just around the corner. She's called Kate Sessions and she runs an amazing, it, it's sort of a family heirloom craft brand, I guess. So gorgeous 
gorgeous quilts, gorgeous kind of ceramics and the things that you might want to buy and then pass down through the sort of generations of your family. They're just absolutely glorious. And she works with lots of lovely, lovely different artists. She's got an art background, but she also is is starting out helping people with their houses. She's got a glorious house herself. So when I was sort of mid writing my book, you know, my head was spinning and I was thinking, oh my goodness, how do I make all these decisions about the house? How do I get it done? Kate stepped in and she was just the biggest biggest dream I think it's always wonderful I've never you know this is the first house I've renovated so I've never done it before but our our taste is very very similar so I think that really helped we sort of worked together so I knew I I think I have a very strong feeling about what I like and what I want but I just you know I didn't know how to get from gorgeous unlacquered brass tap to the brilliant taps (laughs) you know from studio all that we got so so Kate was amazing and it was just so nice to have as much as it was brilliant to have her expertise, just having a kind of creative sounding board, I think, in a project is like so, so, so important. Is your kitchen your heart of your home, as we would probably expect? Absolutely, it is. It's definitely, it's where I'm speaking to you from now. It's definitely where we spend 90% of our time, really. And we, we opened it up a bit. We, we got lots and lots more light in, as, as with lots of old Victorian houses. You know, there wasn't much light in this back part of the house. Um, so we put big windows and skylights in and now it's just a beautiful lovely light space and yeah it's it's just a very open kitchen I decided to go without any units high up on the walls because I just wanted yeah lovely feeling of calm in here so we've got a big lovely island I went for the Sebastian Cox Duval kitchen in the end which I'm completely in love with that gorgeous band sawn wood which is yeah we love everything Sebastian Cox does I just adore him (laughs) I just love that I, I think for me interiors is less about you know pattern and bold color i'm much more about subtle tones but really natural textures and building those beautiful textures um and no. actually your second secret is your amazing wooden floor isn't it that's denison <gasps> it is denison and that was it's something i've been looking at for years and years and years and years and years you know one of those things that you slightly obsess over and it is just um it was i think probably our biggest extravagance in the house but I just love walking on it every day I love being barefoot in my house we got really really wide planks of Douglas fir it just it feels like you know nature it feels like walking on trees it's just so glorious and it really brings like a a sort of sense of unity and calm we've only got it in the sort of ground floor of the house we kept the old floorboards upstairs and sort of treated them with the same lie so there's a there's a sort of feeling throughout but yeah there's decisions you make in the house and you, you know in a project I guess that you just really feel like that was a great decision and I feel like the flooring here was I just adore it every day and it's, it sounds like you very much live the way you cook yes I think so I think everything you know from the clothes I wear to the sort of materials that we have in our home and I don't know even the cleaning products and stuff we use I really want to keep things as close to nature as close to kind of its natural state as I can so yeah I think that 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 theme definitely runs through the whole of my life for sure and can you tell us then about the ethos behind your most recent cookbook one pot pan planet obviously that feels to me very much part of this stay 
sustainability narrative? Absolutely, it is. I think I wanted in this book to kind of bring together really delicious food that I love making. And, um, you know, obviously, all of my books are about putting vegetarian food front and center. And so I feel like the conversation since I'd written my first book has really moved on. You know, lots more people are on board now with eating either vegetarian or vegan whether that's just one night a week or whether that's as their sort of go-to. But I felt like the conversation just needed moving on a little bit. And um, I think the world of sustainability in fashion and interiors in food can be so confusing. And for me, I wanted to just try and kind of read all the science and simplify it and then just neatly knit it between recipes in a book. Because for me, my recipe books are the place I go before I make my decisions about food, before I go to the shop, before I start cooking. Um, so I, I felt like that felt like a very natural place to have that information. And so I, I always lead with joy and deliciousness, but I of really feel like it's very important to have, if we're in a privileged position to be able to make these sustainability decisions, then we definitely should be doing that. And do you have a favorite recipe in the book? Oh my goodness. You know what? There's a, there's a shepherd's pie. It's a Sagaloo shepherd's pie. So it's kind of this delicious sort of bean masala base, which is super easy. And then the top is potatoes, spinach, cauliflower. So Sagaloo and aloe kind of mixed together with loads and loads of spice and then baked till the top goes crispy. And that one, yeah, that's a real winner. And obviously the cakes. I mean, we always need a bit of cake. (laughs) Who taught you to cook? Well, I really taught myself. I think. Um, My mum was just not really that mad keen on cooking. She was quite a sort of, yeah, enlightened woman, I guess. She just didn't really want to be chained (laughs) to the stove and she just didn't really, it's not something she enjoys. So, you know, she fed us amazing food, but it wasn't like, you know, stirring the jam pan on a chair next to her or anything. But what she was amazing (laughs) at was um, buying me cookbooks and buying me ingredients and really empowering me to kind of cook you know, do the cupcakes and cornflake cakes and whatever, but also to cook the family dinners, you know, from a young age, which is what I really wanted to do. I was really excited to do it. So there was a lot of experimentation and I'm quite sure probably a few dinners for my family were like, thanks for that. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think it was a bit of experimentation. And then obviously I, I learned a lot in sort of the kitchens I worked in. I worked with Jamie Oliver at 15 for a very long time and then, and then for him on his team, helping him develop recipes and with his social projects. So I learned an enormous amount from him as well. Sure. And so when you're coming up with a new cookbook concept, where do you look for inspiration for that or even just a new recipe? Well, I always, I I think there's a wonderful dialogue now between me and the people who cook my recipes and for all the kind of um, things I find slightly annoying about social media, that is just such a wonderful thing. And I see the recipes that people are cooking all the time. I see what are popular and it's always quite surprising to me because as a cook you really want your most flashy unusual flavors to be you know the ones that are successful and actually it's not it's quite often the really simple pastas or the one pot dishes and I think that's where the inspiration for this book definitely came from it's kind of trying to connect with what I think is useful achievable and is is going to be used I want my recipe books to be splattered I want them to be covered in stuff I want you know the recipes to become once once they're cooked in people's homes they become on their own and I you know I think it's just trying to be trying to be useful more than anything yeah that's such a nice way of looking at it because I think there are so many you know we're all guilty of having recipe books that we don't use or that don't 
feel accessible, even though the food looks amazing in them. Mm. Do you have any kind of secret ingredients? If we were going to stock our kitchen with three ingredients or even tools? Oh God, that's such a good question. I mean, there are so many brilliant ingredients. Um, I can give you quickly maybe three ingredients and three tools. So the three ingredients I would have would be harissa paste, miso paste, and then I think something like, oh, I would have capers. I think those are are all really, really quick, easy routes to flavor. So I love having those things in my fridge and just adding like, you know, a couple of tablespoons of capers to a pasta for some acidity and punch or some harissa for a really mellow, you know, heat. But it just adds so much flavor and really tricks people into thinking that you've made a lot more effort than you have. And so I love, you know, it's great actually in baking, but it's brilliant um, whisk into dressings it just sort of brings that umami note which is actually quite difficult to kind of get in vegetarian cooking so I use miso loads I guess and then bits of equipment I'm a really kind of simple girl when it comes to equipment in the kitchen I I like things that do a number of jobs like I really have a problem with kitchen equipment that just does one thing like I don't know a cherry pitter or something (laughs) (laughs) so for me I think a speed peeler is like the best thing ever it you know you can use it obviously for peeling your veg but if your knife skills aren't that great you can really finely shave vegetables and you've got yeah. a ribbon salad my mark playing grater i could not live without so for parmesan and chilies garlic all of those kind of really obvious things but also for lemon zest and stuff like that it's just such a brilliant really really easy thing to use and then what else would i say is my third oh i think just a really good, a good cast iron pan. I feel like I've got pans that I have kind of lived with and used for 10 years. My mum's cast iron pans, she has the Cruze ones, are like as old as me. And I feel like they've kind of grown up with us and cooked so many meals. They've become very dear to me. Yeah, I think a lot of, it's interesting, pans and also chairs look so wonderful as they age and take like a wooden table and it, it feels like it's almost gathering all the stories of the things that, things that have been cooked in it or served on it or the dinner parties that have gone on too long and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. I love, I've got a wooden table I've had now for probably 20 years and yeah, it, it's exactly that. It's gone kind of all through my 20s and 30s and yeah, it just really, really feels like it, it's t- it tells the story of how we live and how we have lived and I just adore that. Your final secret is your tableware. Oh my tableware yes well I have been collecting for years and years and years kind of pottery ceramics and those kind of things obviously you know my job is making food and as part of that I do lots of shoots where I do the styling and you know take pictures of food so my crockery collection is probably a bit larger than would be normal (laughs) shall we say I think my husband's like okay we're on a one in one out but I just I love individual pieces of crockery I don't really have much matching stuff I keep them all kind of tonal they're all I guess the same tones I like in my home quite muted natural tones I've got pale kind of greens I've got terracottas I've got some very pale pinks and all different tones of stone and white but every single one tells a story I try and buy them from different potters different artisans when I travel and it's just 
every single piece feels it feels like a connection to someone a connection to an artisan a connection to as I sort of touched on before nature and so they all really tell a story and I find it so much more joyous to have a table laid with those interesting pieces than all the same white plate but I mean that's just my character I guess and I have this one mug that I think actually I just have nightmares about it breaking. I've bought it <laughs> on a trip to California with my family, actually, for my mom and dad's golden wedding anniversary. We hired like an, an RV and we went down Big Sur in California. And halfway down, there's this wonderful bakery called the Big Sur Bakery. And they had these beautiful mugs there in the bakery. And I picked one up. My sister bought one too. And we just had, and I've, I've just drunk my tea from it every morning. And I feel like my day would wouldn't be my day without drinking tea from that gorgeous mug so yeah it's That's um... so gorgeous that's oh thank you so much Anna for opening up your home and telling us about your design style but also of course opening up your kitchen your chef's notebook and then sharing some treasured memories so I've loved having you on the well-crafted life thank you so much for your oh, time thank you for having me as we say goodbye to gorgeous Anna and conclude this episode it's time to say goodbye for now from the well-crafted life a future homes production This eight-part series was sponsored by Martin Moore and edited by Matt Gibbs. I am Sarah Spiteri. Thank you for listening. Listening.